welcome to episode four of series three of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined as always by Paul Gosling. How are you, Paul? I'm fine, Gerard. And you? Hi, dead on, dead on. Enjoying these conversations. And uh, so this week or this episode, rather, we have Seamus McGuinness. And Seamus is a, a returning interviewee. Paul, do you want to remind people of who Seamus is? Yeah, Seamus is one of the research leaders at ESRI, the Economic and Social Research Institute in Dublin, although he actually lives in Newry. And as such, Seamus has a really good handle on the economic and educational and skills training focus on both sides of the border. So Seamus, I find a really interesting speaker, someone who's thought about the issues that are affecting us uh, really deeply. Yeah. And he's not only thought about them a lot, I think he's done the research, which is really, really good. And he talks about this at several points on the in the conversation. But one of the things, or the, the most obvious thing that he talks about is the state of the Northern Ireland economy, and particularly in comparison to the Republic of Ireland. He talks about how the impact of having such a, a low productivity economy is having here in the North. Absolutely. Seamus is really a specialist on labour market uh, initiatives, and and that shows in terms of what he says here. And yes, uh, even uh, as we speak, the the Northern Ireland executive is considering issues around the number of university places. And when it's doing so, one of the points uh, that's been drawn to its attention, at Minister's attention, is the fact that we have a low skill base, and that leads to low pay. And we are trapped or trapped in this low uh, outcomes, low productivity, low pay, low skills. And, and we need to break out of that, really. And uh, the question is how we do that. Where do we start? But uh, probably, as Seamus says, we start by getting rid of academic selection, by actually changing the structure of our educational system. Yeah, I, it, it talks about stigmatizing up to 70 percent of the population but, but with the academic selection conversation or the academic selection still happening here. Yeah, I mean, there's twofold problem here, isn't there, Gerard? The first is we've seen the riots on the streets in recent weeks, and we know that there is a connection between the people who are rioting, perhaps people that are drawn to criminality and violence, and low educational outcomes, people who've given up at a low early stage in their schooling and can't see much hope because they don't have the qualifications. But what you also have is a significant problem of people who don't have the the skills to get into employment, that the employers can't attract people with the right skills to actually make the profit to create new jobs. So again, you're you're sucked into this low performing cycle. Okay, well, let's hear Seamus now and the conversation that you had. So Seamus, you've done a lot of work around looking at the economy of Northern Ireland. And what do you regard as the the core steps needed to build a more prosperous society in Northern Ireland? Um, uh, That's a a huge question to begin with. um, I think, um, obviously, the work that we have been doing with Adele Bergen and the comparative stuff really points to uh, a productivity gap. Um, uh, in in the north, and and that issue um, sort of really needs to be addressed. I think if you're going to live increase living standards, you, you have to live raise productivity levels, and that way you raise uh, wages and incomes um, and general tax receipts, which which gives you um, more ability 
on, on normal standards to, to raise welfare and living standards. So the key issues uh, driving um, low productivity, I think fundamentally it looks uh, as if the issues around education and attainment are, are quite substantial um, in the North now. So we know that our education is the thing that is the primary factor determining um, our income and ultimately our living standards. It also has obviously uh, strong implications for um, productivity levels and other macroeconomic variables. So I think that's a key level of focus. So not only do we see gaps in educational attainment between the North and the Republic, but also between the North and, and British regions. Um, so it, it tends to be at the bottom of the um, of the ladder in terms of um, the proportion of young people who have third level qualifications. And then unfortunately it tends to be at the upper end of the spectrum when we're looking at the proportion of uh, young people who have no qualifications. So really uh, we need to start understanding what is the issue with educational attainment uh, in the North, what is the problem? Um, and, and and I think that's, that's going to take time. Uh, that's going to take a very substantial re review process. Um, and there's no easy answers at the, at the moment. And obviously there are other issues around industrial policy, infrastructure, um, health. I mean, you know, we all need a good health service to be productive workers and uh, to be able to engage in the labour market. Uh, so all of these uh, areas of, of key concern, I think there are problems in terms of where we are in the north. Um, and the question is then, how do you go about fixing that? And unfortunately for me, uh, I, I think all of that requires a major change in policy. And it also would require probably restructuring major investments. Um, but uh, as I said before, I, I just don't think that the governance arrangements and the finance arrangements within uh, the current institutional framework really allows for those investments to happen. Before we drill down into some of those, let's just make sure we get the headlines right. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, and based on my own reading, then you could say there's the three scales of problems in terms of skills and training. The first is we don't have enough people at the very top end of the skills ladder in terms of retaining uh, graduates uh, and with graduates in the right skills. Secondly, we don't have the, the vocational skills that we need. And thirdly, we have far too many people who leave school without the basic skills needed for employability. Yes, I, I think these are key issues. Um, you know, I, I really um, don't see the logic in academic selection for a start. I mean, we have a system uh, where we're filtering out 70% um, of our young people approximately at the age of 11 and, and sort of, you know, stigmatizing them in some way, um, you know, uh, not up to standard. I think that's an issue. Um, I think there's an issue with the structure of um, the educational system in the, at the secondary level where uh, too many people are being lost between uh, after GCSE stage. Um, so there, there isn't, again, there is selection that happens there at that stage where basically you find, you know, school rankings seem to be an important factor. And I think what you, you see is that there's a creaming off again that takes place at 16, where the schools will want to retain uh, the, the students with the with the best GCSE options and the best A level prospects. And then the question is, you know, where does everyone else go? Uh, how well developed is that vocational system? It seems to me that it's 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 pretty um, um, dispersed and, and hard to navigate. 
And I'm a student that went through the vocational system myself. I went into the BTAC uh, route rather than, than the A-level route. Um, but even back then, the options were very, very limited. Uh, and again, you compare that to, to the Republic of Ireland, where there isn't the transition from um, the junior cert, which is the GCSE equivalent, to the leaving cert. It, very few people are lost at that stage. You know, it's, leaving school at that age, at, at the end of a junior cert, you're perceived to be an early school leaver. So there's a big emphasis on ensuring that people are retained within the mainstream school system up until the age of 18. And then afterwards, there is the option of going to higher education. Then there's a very well-defined vocational pathway called the post-leaving certificate for those people who don't feel they're ready for it yet or want to go to a more labour market approach-centred uh, form of training. So I think um, these are, are key aspects in terms of you know why we're missing. I think academic selection is a, is a problem. I think you know you, you'll find very few um, educational researchers anywhere. Um, who would, would advocate this uh, as a way? He, and it's even less progressive now because um, when we go back to the selection system, many of the schools don't prepare children for the transfer test. So the only children who can really uh, enter the, the transfer system effectively are those whose parents can afford for private tuition. So it's it's become even more distorted. Um, so so is it reasonable <laughs> to say that the, the system is essentially class based? Yes, and you know, in our recent paper with Adele uh, Bergen that Adele and I did for um, the Arons uh, project, um, we did some modelling really on, on early school leaving, a very, very basic model. Um, and we found that the rate of early school leaving in the north was twice that of the south. And when we modelled the, the determinants, social class and gender are much more important determinants of whether you're an early school leaver in the north than, than you are in the south. So if you are a male from a social class background, uh, you are much more likely to be an early school leaver uh, in the north. So this tells us that the educational system uh, in the north is not a good vehicle for uh, social mobility. Uh, and I've just spoken about some of the reasons why that might be the case, because you know, let's start off at the primary system. If you're a child from parents with, with, uh, with low incomes, um, you're almost by default uh, being excluded from the from the top grammar schools now because you you know you, you're where is the resources going to come from to get you into a tuition program that will allow you to um, effectively uh, take the transfer test. So I think there are a lot of um, distortions and there's for, as I said, there's further creaming than, than that goes on at age 16. Again, you would find that social class would be uh, a big factor uh, in all of this. So so yes, I think it's. Um, it, there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, social class uh, aspects in terms of where the educational system looks to be um, not serving you know, the best interests of young people and, as well as children. And the non-selective schools for boys in particular, you have a large number that uh, avail of the school leaving age of 16 without staying in education and training, unlike with yeah. girls and unlike with uh, those that go to grammar school. But yeah. equally, you've got a disengagement with the educational system for many kids in the non-selective schools, particularly the boys, from an age before the official school leaving age. They disengage with the age of 12 or 13, perhaps quite a lot of them. So how do we do that? How do we engage those kids to say perhaps the academic selection route isn't the most appropriate for them? They need to focus from an earlier age on vocational skills training and support them through careers guidance. 
again, as I said, you know, I've worked as a labour economist and now for, for the majority of my career uh, in the Republic of Stints in Australia and also uh, in the North. So you, you need to look at best practice elsewhere. So in the Republic, for instance, there are um, there's policies and, and mechanisms set up to identify children who are at risk of early school leaving. So you get early interventions in there uh, quickly. Uh, you also have to have pathways within the uh, secondary system uh, to facilitate children who, who do not want to pursue an academic route or uh, maybe you know uh, would not academically be best suited for that. So again, um, within the Republic, we have uh, there is the leaving certificate um, is, is the general pathway, but within that there is the applied leaving certificate pathway again, which tends to be more vocational um, in, in in nature and and suitable and and catered uh, for children who do not have a particular academic interest and more interested in vocational systems. When you look at the um, the Nordic uh, and the German education systems again, uh, you know, in countries like Norway, you'll see that there are well-defined vocational pathways within the uh, secondary educational system, uh, and that's something that that really is lacking um, in in both the, particularly in in, in the North uh, structures. I think the problem, uh, and this is a problem for the Republic as well, is that it is seen to be the case that the main goal uh, of any um, measure of success is the uh, is obtaining a third level qualification um, and attaining university and vocational options are seen as a, some way a failure now it's, this is a very uh, peculiar way of looking at it. i mean and you know, because when you look at the uh, accreditation system in other countries particularly we always talk look to germany um but also uh, you know if you look at any countries in in, in that region Norway and you know the France, you can look right across the European spectrum in terms of advanced economies, vocational education is generally seen as being on a par uh, with academic uh, pathways. Uh, and that's that's the the issue is that um, you know, there has to be a job done in convincing I think parents to start off with that uh, vocational uh, pathways are a valid route. Uh, and, and, and for the careers system and the careers teachers, really, you know, they're a key aspect in this. And I'm just not sure that that message is being put through and sent through effectively at the school level, level through careers uh, advice. Uh, I, I'm glad you said that, Seamus, because the two reports I've read recently in the last year that I've been very impressed by, Pivotal has called for careers guidance to be in school from basically the, the onset of post-primary education. And the OECD skills report, uh, the, what seemed to me to be the most significant recommendation it made was to do an overhaul of the careers guidance system, saying that basically it was incoherent and mm. failing kids. And that seems to me to be fundamental to any transformation of the, the skills environment. It's fundamental, uh, you know, and, and all of the research that I've done on the education space always points to this to being a key aspect. So. Uh, some years ago, we did a review of further education and training provision in the Republic. And again, um, the, the, the point was uh, really how aware of careers uh, advice uh, teachers of the vocational options out there, how, up, how, what were the training mechanisms by which they were being made, made aware of that. And they need to be made aware of, of not only what options are out there, but what the labour market outcomes are like uh, for children, uh, for young people pursuing these options. So I've done some uh, research on this, and you know, vocational the returns to vocational qualifications 
are at least on a par. So if you look at post-secondary vocational compared to academic um, post-secondary or third level uh, vocational compared to uh, third level academic, they're mostly on a par, if not um, higher than, than the returns to, to academic qualifications. Um, so this is the type of information uh, that, um, that, that careers teachers need to be given and they need to be updated about. On the other side of the coin, you need to make sure if you have a vocational system, that that vocational system is well tied into the labour market, particularly the local labour market for the, um, for the non-third level um, options. That, that the, so there should be a labour market test associated with all um, vocational courses that basically there is, we have demonstrated that there is a demand for this, these, these skills nationally um, and, uh, and, and locally. Because the problem, when we looked at the post-compulsory um, and, the, and the vocational system in, in, the, in the Republic, we found that whilst there was these labour market conditions associated with um, courses, actually they weren't, um, they weren't being applied. So we, we saw that there was nearly too many people doing hairdressing, too many people doing uh, care worker uh, courses. And when we tried to measure it, we figured out there was probably three people uh, in these courses for every one job that would be available in the labour market. So that's not good enough either. There is a responsibility, uh, particularly for vocational education, to ensure that that it, that it is tied to the labour market requirements and also that it changes as labour market requirements change and evolve, both in terms of the array of courses that are available to young people, but also uh, the, um, the content of the curriculum. And that's really useful for you say that, Seamus, because that takes us into the territory of the provision of the further education colleges in Northern Ireland about how well they work with post-primary schools, whether they ought to ha have better partnerships, but also the role of the FE colleges, whether they are putting on the courses that are relevant, where, what their relationship is with employers and with, with the broader economy, and whether it should always be down to the students to choose or whether they should be encouraged by market discipline to look at the courses that will actually give them jobs after they finish. Mm. Uh, so all of those things are true and all of those things um, need to be linked up. Uh, first of all, the courses should only be there at the vocational level. I mean, it is, it is fair enough. I mean, vocational education serves two purposes. It is a vehicle for people uh, to access ultimately higher education who, who don't do that through the, the traditional academic route. But it is also a, a vehicle to the labour market. And we have argued that within the vocational system, you need to sort of categorise your, your, your provision according to those streams. Is this predominantly a mechanism to access higher education or is this course more about the labour market? And if it is the latter, then it must have strong labour market um, relevance. Um, you'd really want to ensure that it is, you know, linked up with, with local employers. So if you think of pharmaceuticals uh, type of program that would be linked to, to Norbrook and there would be a feed through there, there would be good, um, there would be good then um, flow in terms of students into the particular establishments. And you do need to make sure that obviously the, that the employers are involved in actually uh, ensuring that what is in that course is what they require workers to have at the, at the point of of entry. So you need that um, linkage, you need that distinction within the within the um, FE system. Is it labour market? Is it academic? If it's academic, it should have strong 
uh, conditionality associated with it. Yes, there are jobs out there for young people. We've checked this, we've links with the employers, and we're closely monitoring that, and we're engaging with the employers at the local levels to ensure that the provision matches their needs. I think there's a big danger in just saying, well, let's have a structure, and whatever people want to do, this is what we would provide courses in. Because I've given you the example uh, of the hairdressing and the uh, so, and the care assistance programs in the Republic. Really, that 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 serves no one's purposes. It certainly doesn't serve the purposes of young people. It certainly doesn't serve the purposes of the labour market, and it doesn't serve the purposes of the uh, taxpayer. So, really, what we have in the Republic now, we set up regional skills forums. So these are at a regional level. These are bodies that engage with employers and engage with the education and training boards and the colleges to ensure that the, that the provision there has a relevance, there is a need for it, and that um, employers have play an active role in engaging with that. And then there is an oversight body at a, at a, at a national level that sort of try, tries to coordinate um, that out. So I think you need those structures. You need structures that talk between where the employers can talk to the FE sector and the FE sector can respond to the, to, to the requirements of uh, employers. You don't have an effective vocational system if you don't have that. Because what you just have, yeah. But it, uh, that raises the questions about whether the existing structure of further education colleges is the right one because they are doing three significantly different tasks. They are addressing those school leavers that left without educational qualifications or any qualifications of significance. They are providing degree level studies in certain subjects and they are also providing niche training for vocational skills for employers in relationships. Are they able to do those three distinctly different tasks together in, in, or, or should, yeah. should they follow the, the, the Southern model of moving towards technological universities and separating out the sixth form college element? And they also have a, a social inclusion, an important social inclusion role as well. I think they can do all of those things effectively, Paul, if they are properly um, financed, um, and if you know the the you have policies in place that that really target each area of provision, um, and that that is and those areas of provision are are very clearly uh, separated out, and that everyone. Um, is aware of, of how they work and how you access them and actually and then obviously you know where is the monitoring and evaluation of any FE provision here so we were able to go in the Republic we were able to measure the counterfactual impact of the post leaving certificate um, on um, on both employability and, and earnings in a very robust way you know where is the work on the I mean how are you going to convince um, young people to go down vocational paths if there's no one up there uh, really doing any research on the relative returns to education, providing information that these are the types of earnings that you will, um, earnings, additional earnings that you're likely to get if you go down an educational pathway in terms of the vocational pathway rather than stopping at age 16. This is exactly what we did um, in the Republic and we find that there was a huge impact in terms of employability. Um, and there was a huge impact also in terms of progression to higher education. The FE colleges and the, and, and the, um, and the vocational system have a huge role to play in, in any society, but more so, I think, in the North, where we see these feelings, we see these gaps in terms of education attainment amongst young people. I think it's going to be very hard to reform 
and the, the school system. We've seen the way they've reacted to proposed changes around selection, and, um, and there are a whole range of, of issues there. So I think really, uh, if you're going to address a lot of the gaps that we see in terms of people falling out of the system at 16, falling out of the system at 18 and 19, it really can only be accessed through the um, through reform and expansion of, of the FE system. And I think it's important to stress that these aren't simply matters of economic significance. They are really important in terms of creating social division within our society, that actually if we are cutting out a significant chunk of kids from actually achieving very much, then we're going to feed into social division that's going to stay throughout the generations. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not to underestimate the substantial barriers that there will be at a local level in some areas um, to break down uh, the, the sort of, you know, the disengagement. Uh, this is, it's, as I said, it's not random. It's class-based. Um, it may well ha be, um, be differentials there in terms of religious community background. Uh, and associated with that, there may be other barriers at a community level that really will take a long time uh, to break down, particularly, as, as I said, you know, a young uh, among young males. Um, so there are really, I mean, that, that, that is a key issue in, in terms of um, how you how you go about that. And there's no easy questions to it because there are a range of factors that are, are political and, and, you know, that, that really um, make solving that problem very difficult. But unless you have the mechanisms within schools to provide an early warning system uh, in terms of who is likely to drop out and have their programmes um, that facilitate and, and, and ensure that you keep engaging with people, young people at risk of, of dropping out, then nothing really is going to change. Everyone within the system, um, within the educational system and the health system, are doing their utmost and, and you know, are great professionals. But policy needs to play a role. There needs to be funding for extra um, uh, approaches and interventions that will allow um, the issue of um, early school leaving. The fact that early school leaving in the, in the North is twice that of the Republic is quite really unacceptable. Uh, and then the issues of fallout at 16, the issues of, of fallout at 18. Uh, I'm sure the, the, um, everyone in Stormont and all the civil servants are, you know, are, are aware of you know, all of these issues. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're in a situation where um, you know, the, the funding mechanism, as I said, through the Barnard formula and the Black, Black Rab really does not reflect and does not, is not designed to, to address the needs of people here, the funding is basically, you know, a lot of it. But what's what? What was the increases in English regions, which don't have the same uh, problems here? That's completely inappropriate. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, the, we, we know what needs to be done. Everybody is pretty aware of it. We know. I think everybody's aware of the challenges. But you know, how can you go about going back to your initial problem, fixing all of this, if you don't have a mechanism? Uh, where you can fund the investments and the structural changes that need to take place. And it's worth mentioning in passing that it's 25 minutes into the conversation before we've mentioned the word religion. And actually, uh, the, what we're talking about affects pretty well equally Protestant working class communities and Catholic working class communities. It is the same problem, whatever the religious background of those communities. But before we finish, Seamus, I don't want us to ignore the issues about university education because sure. we have a, a significant loss of 
people at undergraduate level who go across to other places, some to the south, many more to Britain. And what's your assessment of the impact on the northern economy of that loss of student numbers? Um, it, it's hard to, to gauge um, because ultimately what you will find, particularly for third level students and those who are most academically able, they will tend to go for incomes uh, are higher. So um, it's a catch-22 problem. You have um, you have low productivity, you have low earnings. That means that a good lot of our um, you know human capital stock uh, goes elsewhere. Um, what would the situation be if they stayed here? Would productivity be higher? I think that's a difficult question. Arguably, there's a couple of schools of thoughts on this. Um, if you have a, a, a structural economy that is low productivity because of its industrial composition, then it's very difficult to see actually how retaining those graduates per se, uh, without any change in, in, in terms of trying to, to move that composition, would raise productivity um, very much. So I think really you need to sort of, if you want to retain that, the graduates, uh, you need to address the low productivity problem. We need to look at, well, actually, how can we move away from sort of low-value-added um, manufacturing activities and reliance on, 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 on low-value-added uh, um, areas of the labour market and the public sector to a more dynamic, high-growth um, structure with high level, higher levels of foreign direct investment, more firms that are exporting, more firms in the pharmaceutical and computer services. How do we address those structural problems that when, by definition, then these productivity levels, you, you also, what you get then, if, if you can get that sort of FDI in those changes, you'd see better performance amongst the indigenous sector. I think really, uh, it's only when you, you address the underlying weaknesses of the economy that you get the appropriate wage growth. And then, you know, that solves a lot of the problem, I think, with the, with the brain train. Seamus, that's really enjoyable. Much appreciated. And um, we've a pretty broad sweep of education <laughs> and training and skills there. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed, Seamus. You're very welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Good to see you. And Bye. you. Bye. Okay, thanks to Seamus there for taking the time to, to talk with you, Paul. Um, as always, and a, a conversation that provokes a lot of questions, but I think the thing that really stands out for me, again, we get back to education, but we get back to vocation. You touched on it before the interview there about the processes need change. We need to serve people. The 50% of people estimated who who don't go the, the A-level route and university route, we need to serve them better because serving them better means we're serving the economy better. Yeah, and, and of course, one, this is very current because the Northern Ireland Assembly and the executive are, are carrying out a, a review uh, over this year about the 14 to 19 age group. I, one of the things that's really interesting, of course, is that the school leaving age in Northern Ireland is 16 and in Britain it's 18. And that is one of the questions whether that's appropriate, but how do you engage people if they're going to stay longer in the schooling system? Whether schools need to actually, some of them, be less focused on academic outputs and more focused on raising skill levels and how you connect the skills with the basic educational outcomes. So those are really interesting questions. Yeah, for sure. And and the FE conversation then, the, the further educational colleges and the need to, to have a look, you know, about the, the courses that have been developed. There's only so many hairdressers an economy can take. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, we need to be more structured in how we do this. 
Absolutely. I mean, it is a, a common criticism that uh, we are actually having too many of uh, the wrong qualifications coming out of some of the further education colleges, as you mentioned, hairdressers in particular. Uh, and, and there is a fear that we're perhaps not having as many engineering students in the FE sector that we need. Um, at the same time, the FE sector itself feels that it's not properly resourced, that it's not properly respected, that it's not seen as adding real value. So we need to review how we address the further education sector. Okay, and Seamus also talked about um, the brain drain, if you like, you know, the best and brightest going to university and never coming back. And I was saying, one of the things we need to change here, or the ultimate thing we need to change is the whole economy, because that'll keep people here in the first place. Absolutely. And, and this ties into questions around Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol and what our future is and whether actually we can use the protocol to attract manufacturing businesses because you actually can locate in Derry or in Belfast and service both the UK economy but also the EU economy without um, difficulties in terms of border controls and customs or whether actually for political reasons we decide that's not what we want to do I mean it is a big question yeah okay well thanks again to Seamus for taking the time to have that conversation with Paul um, and Paul thank you as well for your your insight and uh, Thanks to the Community Relations Council who continue to support this podcast. They all in the Hollywell team who supported it. Slugger O'Toole for supporting us with the articles. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from. And we'll chat to you next time.